This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Welcome to Clothes Making Mavens. We have a fantastic interview to share with you. Lori and I got to speak with Alex from Sewindivity.com. We both find her striking minimalist style so inspiring, and we also love her passion for sustainability. In the interview, we get the insider details of being on the Great British Sewing Bee. It sounds like a lot of fun, actually. And Alex also shares a hilarious sewing story involving her husband, cling wrap, and a compromising situation. Well, we're so glad that you're able to be here with us today, Alex. It's great to meet you in person. I think the first time that I met you, so to speak, was seeing you on television on the Great British Sewing Bee in 2014. You're a celebrity. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm just such a huge fan of that show. And uh, so I want to know everything about your experience on that show, if you don't mind. <laughs> no, of course not. It's crazy. It's crazy that it's almost... So we filmed in 2014, in May 2014. So it's almost uh, four and a half years. Um, it was broadcast in February 2015. So in a way, it, and you, you, they've already had another series and they were filming for series five um, earlier in the year. So it just feels a little bit like a lifetime away. Um, it was a bit, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind um, situation, I think. But, you know, nonetheless, quite, um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say life-changing, but definitely a really interesting experience to have and to sort of put into your sewing CV, as you were. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know what to, what to start telling you about it. Um, uh, well, maybe we should start with, um, just in case people haven't seen it, because I know it's difficult to actually yeah. tune in and see it here mm, it on this is. side of the pond. So yeah. if anyone listening hasn't seen it, maybe you can just give us a summary of how the show works. Yeah, for sure. So um, effectively, if you've ever seen Great British Bake Off, I always say to people, it's like Bake Off with sewing. So um, it's a competition and I really emphasize it's a friendly competition. So it's not one of those like, you know, really nasty backstabbing programs. And I think this is when, what makes the sewing be so beloved by everybody is that, mm-hmm. you know, it's actually really nice, friendly competition and people are actually nice to each other. So, um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a sewing competition where 10 contestants that are pre-selected pre-select, get to face um, a series of challenges and every week week um, someone has to go home sometimes two people have to go home and every episode um, we film over two days and every day has uh, the first day has two parts the first one is uh, following a pattern so everybody gets given the same pattern that you haven't seen before and you can choose your fabric and your um, trims from the haberdashery that is within the sewing room so the production team chooses all these beautiful fabrics for you and you just have to go and choose your favorites so that's the first part and the second Second part in the afternoon is um, what is called the refashion challenge, where you get given everybody gets given the same garment, um, and you're given get given a brief, and you have to come up with a you know a solution um, of refashioning that particular garment, um, and then the second day is um, the it's called the made to measure challenge. Effectively, you are told what you're going to make. You can choose your pattern, you can choose your fabric at home, and you can practice it at home. But you get given a model whose measures um, you get given in advance. 
and you can so effectively you have to make a garment so that that model that fits that model perfectly and what they're judging is finishing um but most importantly how it how you make it made it work on the model so it's um you know like the fit is actually the most important thing and there's two people who are judging so my series was this really lovely lady called may martin Mm-hmm. from something that's called the Women's Institute, which effectively is this massive, massive institution in Britain. Um, so, so she's a sewing teacher there and she's been teaching there for a very, very long time. And um, a very handsome, dashing gentleman called Patrick Grant <laughs> that everybody knows and loves um, <laughs> of the mustache, beard and mustache fame. Um, so he's, he's basically known for his tailoring. Um, so he's very... Uh, has very strong opinions about what good tailoring look, looks like and he's not afraid to tell you if... Uh, oh, God, so much pressure. How did you handle the pressure? I mean, it's one thing to be trying new patterns, and but it's a whole other thing to be under a time pressure, like you had yeah. one and a half hours to do the basic pattern and then so many hours to do other things. So to be under the time pressure, and then you're going to get judged by like a guy who tailors clothes on Savile Row what was that like? So the um, the time pressure was actually harder than I thought it was going to be. So, you know, I work in, I worked all my life in corporate. So I'm kind of used to like, you know, deadlines and working hard and working late and, you know, having to deliver stuff on time and so on. So actually that was probably the thing that I was least worried about. Um, but it turned out to be way more stressful than, than I expected because effectively at some point your brain turns to mush. So uh, mm. things you do with your eyes closed, you just can't remember how to do anymore and when something goes wrong you just panic and you go like oh my god what am I going to do now am I okay for time and the first the first first one they always give you loads of time so you feel like oh you know there's plenty of time now it's fine I can unpick it so I remember I'm picking this <laughs> this zipper for three like three times and it just wasn't Aww. working. And I was like, the first time I picked it, I was like, that's fine. That's fine. I have plenty of time. The second time I was like starting to getting to be getting a bit worried. And the third time I was like, oh my God, I have 15 minutes to go and I haven't finished like other bits and pieces. So uh, it just gets, it really, really gets to you in a, in a way that you, I would never have expected. I thought that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And, and yeah, and it's actually, it does get quite stressful. And even the things that you got to practice at home, what you don't realize that if it took you like, I don't know, five hours at home, it's going to take you six hours there or more. And I think there's also like this, this pressure that you put on yourself that you want everything to be the absolute bells and whistles. So like, you know, doing Hong Kong seems like, really? Really? <laughs> like, why? Why Pile that onto yourself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, you're so desperate to impress them. Yeah, it's kind of like you want, you know, the absolute amazing perfection where you actually should be focusing mostly on, on doing, um, on, on actually achieving what you're meant to be achieving. You know, like getting the perfect fit or following the instruction, making sure you actually have a finished garment at the end. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that actually obviously turned out to be my uh, my downfall of the... Um, dreaded cupcake uh, costume and again this is like this perfect example of you know you can do much easier things like why do you want to make things so horribly hard for yourself Um, but you don't and you get tunnel vision so like you get this thing in your head that you want to do in a certain way and you don't actually realize that a maybe this is not the best thing to do overall but b once you realize that it's getting it's not working 
just change your mind and do something else. Do it simpler. Do it quicker. Uh, but no, you're kind of like, no, 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 no. That's what I said. I said to Patrick, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's kind of like you could practice. I could see how you could get really stuck in. This is what I practice. I know I can do it. I know I can do it instead yeah. of kind of cutting your losses. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of like, um, you have to be really strategic about things. And, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, like in, in hindsight, everything is, um, you know, everything makes much, <laughs> much more sense and it's easier and so on. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, it was actually, it was quite an intense experience. It was very tiring. So quite long, long, long days. Um, mm-hmm. you woke up really early in the morning and feeling quite late in the, in the evening. And it's just a, a mental, you know, like it just mental tiredness. Um, I, um, I mean, there's like, we ate a lot of sweets and candy and sugar, sugar, <laughs> sugar, and drank loads of tea and stuff like that. So you kind of try to keep, to keep going. And I think the other people really helped because, you know, as I was saying in the beginning, actually it's not that horrible backstabbing competition. Um, everybody, everybody helps each other. And it's, you know, it's probably to the annoyance of the producers because probably they want us to see us. They want to see us <laughs> being a bit more competitive. Um, but everybody's super nice. And the people like the people that were in my series and actually the people that were on different series, we, we kind of see each other with some of them, see each other on Instagram or we meet face to face from time to time. And, That's um, cool. and it's kind of like, it feels like you went through war together because <laughs> it's that, you know, it's that camaraderie of having survived something quite traumatic. Yeah. In the nicest, in the nicest possible way. So, um, not sure if you remember Paul from my series, um, mm-hmm. the guy with the beard, and he was just. An, I mean, everybody was super nice, but Paul was like extra nice, and he had the, the best hugs. And when something was not right, I would always go to him and say, "Can you please give me a hug now? Because I feel like I feel the need, <laughs> you know, for like a bit of human contact." Um, and we used to hug a lot. Like there was so much hugging going on, and like just clinging together um i remember you guys holding hands when you would wait for the judgment i thought that yeah, was I thought definitely. that was great yeah that that whole camaraderie really came through i mean i think it that's did, why yeah. everyone loves the show so much like you say there was no intention for it to be a backstabbing or mean competition everybody seemed to really love each other and even to the point of i think it was after the first season they did a sort of christmas special follow-up yeah it was like yeah, what yeah. have they been up to since then and i'd love it Oh, so sweet. They do on every series at the very end. They do this like since the sewing bee such and such did this. Yeah. Um, so they do like a run up of what everybody did. But um, actually, uh, that's a good point because you asked me about uh, the judging and I didn't get to tell you um, yeah. that much about it. So, I mean, it's the thing is like, you know what you did wrong, right? So, you know <laughs> what they can pick on it. And it you're just sitting there waiting f- to hear them like pick on you. And the thing is like, you can't argue. Like you can't say, oh, they said that and they were wrong because you know, you know that what they, this is what they're going to say. And they say it. And I was actually really terrified because I remember when we watched the first episode um, at home after it was, I was terrified because they um, critique several things, but um and you know they said like oh my god they said five bad things about this particular thing but because of you know it's only one hour and have to like edit stuff down and actually it it was less bad on tv than i expected so i actually felt a little bit like 
oh okay that was that was okay like it didn't come across so valid they, they you know they said other things and they they didn't put all of it because it's only an hour of the program so you know and it's 10 of us and especially and in the three early challenges days, yeah yeah three challenges mm-hmm. and they have you know like they have that little bit where they talk about the history of the pattern or there's like a mm-hmm. little history bit so that takes time a little bit out and then obviously they have those bits about us and you know mm-hmm. when they film in our house houses mm-hmm. and stuff like that the so, best part in my opinion i love that i know, I lo- I I know, know. i'm so nosy it's like watching <laughs> so, the olympics and getting the athlete profiles those are my favorite too it's like just want a little window into somebody's life and what they're really like yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and uh, my husband was um I mean, he doesn't even like having his picture taken, let alone being on TV. So I think he was so, so embarrassed by the whole thing. But like, yeah, he was the he was the one person they wanted to talk to because obviously it's like your family and stuff. And I don't have any family in the UK, so it was like you know him. He's the one that right. uh, we need to they needed to speak to. So um, yeah, it was quite nice. Probably the best thing that came out of the sewing for me were, were the people. So, I mean, as I said, we, we still have a WhatsApp group and we talk to each other and, um, you know, we see, we try to see each other because people are from all over the UK. So it's quite, sometimes it's hard to find a place in the middle to meet up, but we still talk very regularly. And it's just so nice that, you know, 10 people, a bunch of people from completely different backgrounds that probably would never have met in regular circumstances. You know, we, um, we still keep in touch and when we became such good friends through sewing and I think that's like, that's so amazing. Um, and it's, you know, it's yet another proof that sewing brings people together. And obviously, sewing people are the best people. <laughs> obviously. Yes, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Alex, what else did you take away from that whole experience? Like, did it change you as a person? Did it change your sewing? I mean, I, I'm sure obviously it would have changed your sewing and upping your skills in such a way, but... I think, um, so after, so, so when I went on the sewing bee, I had been sewing properly for two and a half years. So I have started... That's not a lot. Yeah. No, yeah. it is not. That's impressive. So I started in 2009, um, sort of self-taught. Uh, and I like, I was completely rubbish. And then I moved to the UK in 2010 and I didn't sew at all. And then in 2011, in June, um, I started taking lessons. And like, I, did, I think that's kind of where I started sewing properly. Um, and then, yeah, I, well, actually three years. So then the sewing bee was in 2014. So I had only been sewing for three years. And like right now, you know, with the experience of so many years gone by, I, I think I was pretty rubbish actually when I was when I was on, on TV. Um, you know, it's incredible how much experience and just sewing more really, really helps to... And it's just a matter of practice. And it's just a matter of... I've done that before. I know how to do it. You know, I, I can, I can tank, I can handle this. Um, but yeah, so like, so definitely the people were one of the most amazing things that came out of the sewing me. And um, especially uh, one particular person that's one of my dearest, dearest friends and someone whom I admire. I always call her my sewing goddess. So um, Claire, Claire Reese Hardy, she's the producer of the sewing bee. Uh, the sewing producer of the sewing bee, also n- known as a thrifty stitcher, ah. and uh, she's oh. a, so she's a she's a costumier, she's a sewing teacher, she's just just the most knowledgeable sewing person I've ever met, and just the most fantastic person. So we actually um, kept in touch after the sewing bee, and um, and we became friends like we're really really close now, and she's just you know like I'm so lucky to have her in my life she's just the most amazing person so definitely the sewing we gave me that um you know brought CL into my life because she's just amazing um 
But then the second thing that came out of the blog is actually uh, came out of the sewing bee is actually the blog. So <laughs> I started I started blogging after the sewing bee because basically in my mind I was like I don't want the whole nation to think like I'm an I'm an idiot sewer. I and I have all these like really nice things that I made. I just want to show them to the world. So the I can blog do was. It, I swear. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I can't put in an invisible zipper and all of that. Um, <laughs> So the blog was, in a way, was was about that. Like I want to like, sort of show people that I can sew and and you know showcase all my my sewing projects and so on. So yeah, and then um, when I was thinking about how to you know what would be my angle and what what I want to write about in the blog, the whole sustainability thing started happening as well, mm-hmm. uh, because in. 2013, so the year before I started working in sustainability in my company, and um, and it became such a big part of obviously my work life, but also just out of it, there were so many things that sort of came together to um, to make sustainability really important for me, and that's why I really wanted to bring it on the blog, and I think it coincided with I think 2018 was a massive year for sustainability because of many reasons, um, especially in the UK uh, we have. We have had this um, massive um, TV program called Blue Planet Two, um, that literally shone a light on on plastics and how you effectively how much plastic is damaging the environment. And I think through this lens, people became more much more interested in sustainability. And even in my own area and in 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 fashion, um, we definitely see much more interest from customers in in sustainable fashion. There's a lot more sustainable fashion brands that are emerging. There's a lot more, um, even the established brands are starting to do more because they understand that, you know, this is, you know, we can't continue like that anymore. So I think it was a massive year for, for sustainability and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we're, we're all going to be, um, it's, it's going to continue. This trend is going to continue. And, um, you know, luckily for the sewing community or, or, you know, as for the sewing community as well, it feels like, um, we're talking about sustainability in sewing as well much more than we we used to in the previous years um and i think this is really um it's it it makes me really glad that you know we can have this conversation and people are not just like going you know putting their their hands over their ears and going la 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 la, la i don't want to know about this i feel like people are much more open minded they're much more interested um and they're they're genuinely trying to make things different or even if it's just a little bit even if it's changing just a small part of their habits of or of their sewing um sort of their sewing the way they approach sewing um I'm so glad to see so many people being interested and um judging by the comments on my blog on when I write about sustainability people are really interested yeah no I think I think that's a great point because as bloggers we do have an audience whether it's big or small there are people who like to read what what we're putting out into the world and so I think that's that's a little bit of power that we have to to convey information to people that we think is important and so I think that's a really good it's really nice to see bloggers who are combining their passions around environmentalism or sustainability or or whatever else whatever it, it is yeah body positivity or yeah all those there's so many issues that if it's close to your heart um blogging is such a good way to to uh, start a conversation about it yeah so speaking of which alex one of the things that i take from your blog is this strong connection between the idea of sustainability and how that relates to what you call crafting a meaningful wardrobe. So could you talk a little bit about that relationship and what a meaningful wardrobe is? Yeah, so um, I will 
start this with the with two disclaimers. Um, one, <laughs> one that I am a reformed um, shopper, shopaholic, and hoarder of clothes. So um, okay. I I say this story, and people are absolutely horrified. When I moved to the UK, I had ninety nine zero pairs of shoes. So, wow. uh, yeah, quite high starting point. And then, um, yeah, I didn't, living in the UK didn't help. So, um, <laughs> living in London. Oh yeah, I know exactly. Right. So it's like with smokers, you know, the most vehement smo- anti-smokers are the ones that used to smoke for a really long time. So, <laughs> um, so far be it from me from trying to shame people into, you know, like, um, how much they're buying or how much they have in the wardrobe or how much are they sewing because you know I know how bad I, I used to be I still have quite a large wardrobe even if I you know I stopped buying clothes in 2015 um, and it's still like a massive massive I still have quite a lot of clothes so that's one disclaimer so you stopped entirely in 2015 yeah. so in, new clothes. in 2015 yeah. uh, first of Jan I was like okay I have to see if I can live without um you know, buying clothes. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't buying a lot necessarily by that time anyway. So for me, the biggest, the biggest waking up call was Rana Plaza in 2013. Um, and, and then I started boy. Can you, can you maybe just explain that for those yeah. who may not have heard of this? Yeah. So, so Rana Plaza is basically the biggest industrial, um, accident in the fashion industry ever. Uh, 1,281 people were killed in a factory collapse in Dhaka in Bangladesh. Um, and many, uh, many European brands, many Western brands um, were working in that factory and there were blatant, um, uh, basically people blatantly ignored um, uh, safety, uh, building safety and people's safety issues. And they basically, they make, they made people, workers go back into the factory when they knew it was unsafe. Um, and so it was a big wake up call in terms of, you know, the effects of, our fashion on, on sort of on, on people in other parts of the world, and so I I decided then that I have to be much more careful about you know what do I buy even if it's even if it's high street but at least be a bit more informed and try to understand where they shop and where they where they make their garments and so on. So that was and I started boycotting certain brands that I knew for sure had been in Rana Plaza and you know the way they behaved and I was like look I can't unknow this so I can't once yeah. I know this I can't knowingly go into that particular shop and shop from there so that was one thing so I was buying from 2013 I started buying less and less um so it was it was on a downward downward trend anyway but then in 2015 it was more like a more like a challenge to myself to because I was getting really really buried in stuff so I had so many things that I didn't wear very much and I still you know didn't know what to wear and there was just too much stuff to troll trying to make a decision every day and it was just getting a little bit like um really tiring like just mental the mental space that I needed to actually make decisions about what am I going to wear was getting it was taking up too much too much of my headspace so I started challenging myself to see like okay what will happen can I you know, not buy anything. And then at the same time, I was donating quite a lot. So I was purging, purging, purging constantly um, to try to sort of reduce um, the amount of clothes. So, um, so, so that was that uh, in, in 2015. And then um, the more I thought about it, I, w- I realized that I, I don't sew very much because I don't have a lot of time and probably much less recently, but I was still sewing, you know, maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 garments a year. And, um, and still, 
some of them I never wore or I wore once or, you know, they were like fancy dresses for a special occasion and I knew I'm never going to wear them again. And, and I wasn't really sewing for my life. <laughs> I was sewing for, you know, like this, all these special occasions or I was sewing because that pattern had this beautiful vintage you know, illustration on the cover. And I was like, oh, I can see myself in that beautiful dress. But actually, you know, like... Relatable. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But then you, then you go like, oh, how many times am I actually going to wear, you know, like a puff petticoat skirt in my real life yeah. when I'm going on the tube and running to work sort of thing. So, um, so I started thinking more and more about, you know, what do I sew and what do I sew it for and what do I actually need you know, for my actual real life uh, and, you know, what is my wardrobe about? And the whole concept of meaningful wardrobe was not necessarily about how much I sew, but, you know, is this going to match my life? So is this going to be something that I'm actually going to wear for a decent number of times? And I always talk about the 30 wears, which is sort of like a rule of thumb of how long you should be keeping a garment. Uh, the second thing is, um, you know, am I actually making something I'm going to love? Because um, sometimes you just jump into a project and you go like, oh, I I just want to make this. But you don't really think, is this going to be the right fabric? Is it going to be the right pattern for me, for my body shape, for, you know... Am I actually going to like the end result? And, you know, I'm making this in this horrible scratchy fabric that I know is going to be, it's not going to be nice to wear. So then, you know, this is not just a sewing exercise. It's actually, you're producing a garment. Because if, if I want a sewing exercise, I'll make a quilt or, you know, something that's not deemed, that's not meant to be worn. And then the last bit was just a slowing sewing, slowing down my sewing in the sense of taking the time to, um, fit the pattern properly before I start sewing um, and tissue fitting as opposed to muslin fitting. Um, taking the time to understand alterations, taking the time to make, um, you know, use techniques that take a longer time. So like French shims instead of just overlocking things. Um, and also like taking the time to unpick. So, you know, if it's, if it's something that it doesn't feel quite right instead of going like, Meh, okay, I'm just going to either go with it or it's going to be stuck in the bat bottom of my wardrobe because there's something that really annoys me about it. So I'm never going to wear it. Just unpick it, fix it so that you actually do wear it. And actually this year I spent so much time unpicking um, and fixing things rather than sewing new things. I've rescued so many things that I don't wear, which I wear, I wore a lot just because they had like something came undone or there's something not quite right and I just took the time to fix it and I think you know I think that's what a meaningful wardrobe is about it's clothes that sort of match your lifestyle match your your personal taste um you know you're gonna wear them you've taken the effort to make them last use really good materials as well as much as you can and um and yeah and then and, and and then wear them, like just against disposable clothing, because, you know, you feel like, oh, it's disposable clothing because you buy it from uh, from fast fashion shops and you think, uh, yeah, those are horrible and they're disposable. But actually, if you make a garment, even if you put the, all the love of, uh, and all the effort, but if you make it and wear it once, it's still disposable. Even if you even if it sits at the back of your wardrobe, you never wear it again. That's actually it's it's a one it's a one use garment. So, you know, let's not sew ourselves one-use garments. Let's sew ourselves garments that actually will get a lot of wear and a lot of love. Um, and I think that's kind of like that. This is what it means to me. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if it I don't know if it makes sense for a lot of people and again you know I'm not judging people who sew a lot um because you know it's a hobby and it makes them happy and that's that's absolutely fine but I think that that's what's important for me I I want to I want to I want this to make me happy but I want the outcome to make me happy as well as opposed to feeling to feeling guilty. The ho- yeah, the whole the whole emotional out, out yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also um just to add something else um uh again the, the disclaimer I'm a minimalist. So I I think that's kind of where it clicked when I had too many clothes and it was overwhelming. So this whole minimalist approach, and actually, uh, Laurie, it's a it's a Canadian um, Canadian style blogger that I that's she's so so dear to my heart, um, uh, Lee Vosburgh from Style B, um, and you, and she has the B in the in the title, right, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might be familiar with the ten by ten challenge. So this is a challenge that um, Lee invented for herself, and then it kind of it took off in the sustainable style community, and actually in the sewing community as well a little bit. Um, so effectively, every season, uh, you're meant to choose 10 garments um, that you're going to wear for 10 days uh, in, in different combinations, but you're only going to wear those 10 garments uh, or, you know, 10 items. So sometimes you can include shoes and sometimes you can include um, coats and stuff. I, I usually just choose garments because 10 is like, it's a good number for me. But that really helped me understand what I want to wear and what I like. And it made me, that, that confine of this, those 10 items made me stretch my creativity to such an extent that actually com- helped completely transform the way I thought about garments. And it made me, it helped me identify what I miss in my wardrobe and sew those particular garments as opposed to like just sewing on a whim or sewing on, oh, this is the next new shiny pattern and everybody's sewing it, I want to sew it as well. It helped me identify my color palette um, and the kind of colors that I enjoy. Um, it helped me really streamline my wardrobe. And I think that 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 was such a big, such a big thing for me. So this year definitely was the year where I, turned the minimalist page and um kate from time to sew she's my she's my sustainability and uh, and sewing bestie um, right yeah and we've had kate here on this podcast yeah too, very recently yeah. yeah absolutely and uh we always laugh because she's a maximalist like she doesn't get minimalist at all and she's all about bright prints and flamingos and pineapples and stuff like that which <laughs> literally make my skin itch um and then she goes like but you're so drab you always wear gray and black and white and like there's no and I do have color but it's like it's more of an accents rather than like a full-blown you know color riot sort of thing mm. and we always laugh laugh to, when we're together she's like I get it I love you you're still my bestie but uh no <laughs> Well, Alex, if it makes you feel any better, I love your wardrobe. I I love your style. I mean, for me, you've been a style icon since I saw you on on the Great British Sewing Bee. And your 10 by 10 challenges that you've posted on your blog where you show us the 10 garments you're putting together and the different outfits you've made – I, I just, they really, they really speak to me. I think maybe at heart, I am also a modern minimalist, as you call yourself, but I haven't really figured out how to, how to get there yet. Cause I just, oh, I, I love what you wear. And you say, you say you wear a lot of gray, but I mean, I've seen your outfits with your hot pink culottes with, you know, beautiful know. black top. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of color there. It's just used really, um, 
strategically. Uh, judiciously, yeah. really well. I mean, it doesn't have to be a riot of color to be colorful, right? Yeah, I think, thank you. That's that's really kind to say. And I'm actually, I'm really glad because the sewing community, you know, like it's a lot of the sewing community is about bright print and, you know, and colors and the certain... It's hard to avoid them, Yeah, right? exactly. And, well, they're and just I always, so compelling to buy that fabric. That's the Absolutely. thing. Yeah, that's I mean, all I see when I go shopping is I, I can't even see or find like the dark grays or mm-hmm. the blacks or the things that I should have have more of in my wardrobe because I, I don't even see them I'm just like look at that great amazing print right it's I hard. think I think that's really I'm really lucky like that so both from a style perspective and a sustainability perspective because I really don't like prints at all mm. um, I think so I only do stripes dots and like really abstract um, like crazy like watercolor type prints but quite big I have a one single floral and it's really big digitally printed type patterns so I have very very little very little patterns in my wardrobe so actually that makes life so much easier because when I go fabric shopping that's kind of like I don't even want to look at that it's it's so rare that I find a print that um, really speaks to me so it helps a lot with temptation and, uh, you know, like no fabric shop will send you newsletters with, oh, yeah, this is the latest black crepe we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And actually, in a way, it really helps to focus on different qualities of fabric. Um, so, for example, I like to sew, you might have seen, I like to sew a lot with pleather. Um, and I really like combinations of textures. So, you know, like pleather and wool or pleather and uh, something sheer or perforate, perforated leather and, um, I don't know, um, pointy or something like that. And and you get that play of shapes and of... you Basically, you get the interest out of different textures rather than out of colors. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Um, and I, I mean, pleather came into my life out of necessity, really, because um, I had this... I was making this dress and I didn't have enough fabric. And um, and I really wanted to make it for New Year's Eve, like in 2014. And um, and I was refashioning uh, an Ikea throw, like an Ikea blanket. And um, it's still one of my favorite dresses. And I ran out of fabric and I didn't realize I don't have enough fabric for sleeves. But I had this pleather in my stash for some reason. I can't remember why. And I was like, right, okay, I'm just going to put pleather sleeves on. And then it kind of became like my signature thing. Like literally everything has pleather sleeves (laughs) at some point. So I have, I'm not sure if you've seen it, um, V... Vogue um, 9075, which is my favorite, favorite pattern of all time. Um, it's like a, the, it's a jumpsuit with massive culottes. It's really, really big culottes. And um, so I made it in this, like orange fabric. And again, I ran out of, ran out of fabric. Bam. Uh, leather <laughs> sleeves. <laughs> there you go. Um, I have another Ikea uh, blanket cardigan that has leather sleeves on. So it's kind of like it's be- become like sort of like my signature signature thing that, you know, stick a little bit of pleather on it. And uh, <laughs> maybe it's not the most sustainable material to work with. There's like there's a lot of issues with fake leather, which I'm not going to go into. But yeah, it's kind of like it's, you know, it's it's one of those things that I sort of adopted somehow. But yeah, not liking prints really, really helps with the with temptation. So, and also, I'll tell you another secret. Um, I get given a lot of fabric by various people. I get I get some from work. Um, I uh, I organize a lot of events, and there's always fabric left over and stuff like that. So, um, actually, I probably bought. 
I would say less than a quarter of my stash. <laughs> Everything else is sort of like gifted or from charity shops or stuff like that. And um, sometimes people give me fabric that are printed and they're not my style. And I dye, I over dye a lot. So like one of my favorite um, favorite things that I made is like this big fabric with big florals and I just dyed it all black. And the fabric was nice, but the, the, the print wasn't my style. So um, I have a massive dyeing fetish. I love, I love dyeing um, everything, like especially like in the washing machine. I really recommend um, just the, that, that kind of dye that you just put in the washing machine, put it on and it's done. It's amazing. Um, and I don't know if they have it in, in the States or in Canada, it's called Dylon, D-Y-L-O-N. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's literally like a, like a bomb. You put it in a washing machine, put your fabric in and you're done like 80 minutes on hot and you're done. Um, it's so convenient and it doesn't, it doesn't kill your washing machine either. I, now this year I started doing much more like a stove top dyeing, um, uh, with wool and, and loads of like loads, loads more experimenting, but I've always dyed at home. So I think that's a really great way to sort of like fall in love again with your stash and uh-huh. just that's breed, really smart. Yeah. breed new life into fabric that you wouldn't, you know, like for some reason you don't like or you don't wear or it's it's not to your taste um, rather than, you know, like either giving it away or, you know, just sitting there for years and years and years without any, without any good, <laughs> good use for it. So... Yeah, that makes so much sense. That's really good advice. And I saw your coat that you recently made. You had some bits and pieces and it's, I guess uh, it's not quite color blocked. It's more like texture blocked in yeah. a way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's like seriously one of my favorite favorite things that I that I made. And actually, I was doing. I'm just writing a blog post now because um, I'm I'm doing a wardrobe count. So I'm I'm like writing down every day what I wear to to see how much I wear it. And it's definitely been my most worn item. I wore it almost every single day in in November, in October, and November. Um, and it was it was such a low. It's not like there's issues. Clearly, issues with it. And this is another thing. Like when you get really Clearly, about... I don't know about that. <laughs> no, issues. I didn't see any. I don't think um, so. It was uh, basically, what happened was that I really wanted to use nothing but stash uh, fabric in it, and the fabric I use for the lining is like four centimeters too small. Um, so there's, if you look at the inside, there's a little bit of gap between the end of the end of the lining and the uh, the the sort of the hem of the the main fabric that's okay three foot rule that's that's the rule yeah if you absolutely. can't tell from three feet away you're, you're it's good. on the inside it's on the inside so that's fine uh, but i do you know what it's kind of like it's one of those things sometimes you get really obsessive and you like you dislike something because you know it's it's imperfect but other times yeah. you go like i don't really give a hoot i love this so much i don't care if it's bad you know like it keeps you warm um it's different it's and it's just i think it was one of those things where i was really stubborn to make those pieces work together somehow so um they were both gifts um um from again from an event that i organized many many years ago and they were too small both of them like they i couldn't bring i couldn't make a coat out of either one of them um and um and i really i really didn't want to buy suit um wool fabric for to make a coat because i had so much coating in my in my stash even though it wasn't just it wasn't quite right so i think the process of thinking about how is it going to work together took longer than actually making the coat and then i dyed mm-hmm. the, oh my god it's like just such a funny story because wool you have to dye on the stove top it doesn't really work the different like it has to be you can't put it in a washing machine because it felt so I didn't have a, a, a pot big enough and so I started looking on like 
our equivalent of Craigslist and all sorts of ways to find a big enough pot. But we have an induction hob, so you can't use just any old pot. It has to be a pot that kind of works with the induction hob. And so basically I found this guy in a town, like, I don't know, an hour and a half outside of London uh, that was selling it. It used to be, he used to be a scouts master and they're like this really amazing <laughs> professional kitchen pots that are about like, it's a meter in diameter. It's wow. massive <laughs> with like a double, you know, like a double base, um, uh, bottom. It's like proper professional. It's like, you know, 150 quid if you were to buy it and I paid 10 quid for it. But the problem nice. was that I had to carry it on the train <laughs> from this place <laughs> And, uh, and it's, it's really heavy. It's like, it's almost 10 kilos heavy, like it's <laughs> massive. So I had to carry it on the train and carry it on the tube back. Cause my husband was like, you know, the petrol is going to cost more than the pot if I were to drive you to get it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was hilarious. So basically I, I managed to like source it and, um, and I started like, um, dyeing it, you know, like doing, doing the whole dyeing and it reeks. Oh my God. It smells so badly. Mm, uh, and, yeah. and my husband was terrified because like, oh my God, you're going to like kill our kitchen and you're going to like ruin our new induction hub. And, you know, there was this whole, whole debate and I was like, no, it's going to be fine. I, I still hey, relax, honey. It's all in the name of sewing. It's yeah, all good. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's used to, he's used to me doing crazy experiments. Um, have you, do you, have I ever told you the story? Sorry, I'm completely jumping around but no worries. Uh, we're on the topic of crazy experiments. You need to hear the story. This is the most hilarious story, sewing story ever. Um, <laughs> have you heard the story about my, uh, my sewing mannequin? No. no. Okay. So when I was making my wedding dress, I got into my head that I need a perfect clone of my body mannequin. Like, you know, one of those expandable ones. No, it just, uh, the ready-made mannequin will never do. Right. Okay. So I looked it up on the internet, of course, and um, came across this method of making body casts that you fill with foam and they're your perfect copy of your body. Right. So effectively, you have to take medical plaster, wrap yourself in plaster, take it off, sew it back together, let it dry. And then you fill it with um, it's kind of like those foam they use for um, like expanding foam for insulation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so I got all my supplies and and I said to my husband right okay now it's time for you to wrap me up in plastic in plastic cast right <laughs> I'm sure he was happy to do that yeah, yeah so but basically I wanted to I wanted to be like um you know as realistic as possible so I wanted to have like a nice a good brown so that you know it kind of looks like it would look in real life right but I didn't want to ruin my beautiful bra um <laughs> one of my best bras so i decided that in order to protect it i need to wrap myself in cling film <laughs> so so i wrapped myself in cling film my husband started putting all this plaster on on me and at some point and you kind of start with the chest because that's the obvious place to put it but that's not a good idea so don't do that if you ever want to do it but um so he started putting like plaster, plaster, plaster. And I kept saying to him like, sweetie, I'm not feeling very well. And he was like, oh, man up. You made me do it. We're doing this. Like, <laughs> stop being such a wuss. And I was like, no, seriously, I'm really not feeling well. And then literally, bum, I just dropped. I fainted. I completely oh, like no. fell down. And, and he was saying like, the first thing I thought was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to take you to the emergency room and how am I going to explain to them? How are you going to explain that about your wife? <laughs> my wife, we wrapped up in plaster and cling film. 
Oh, yeah. There's going to be some questions. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, my God, is she okay? And then he was like, yeah, but like you fell down and you ruined my work because it was, it, it was completely destroyed. So that was attempt number Aww, one. Oh, bummer. Aww. Right. Aww. And I was like, okay, right. So I know I know what we're doing wrong. Like we're, we're going to do this again. So it was attempt number two. And then we managed to do it. Uh, we cut it off. And then the foam didn't work. So we had to do attempt number three. So we actually, we had to do this three times. My husband was like, you are completely insane. Like you are a glutton, <laughs> you are a glutton for punishment. But this is what I mean about like, you know, when you get tunnel visioned about something as like, no, this is the only way. There's no way I can like, there's no way this is going to work without, if I don't do it like that, there's nothing else that will ever satisfy me. Anyway, so the third time it worked and, but it was like, it was insane amount of work, but it's great. And the thing that I love the most about it, like you can stick pins in it, like a voodoo doll. And it's so nice to drape and to, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, like, it's not for the faint of heart. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. And not for the fainters. Either. Yeah, not right for now. the fainters. Oh, Do you know what? I don't think I've ever fainted in my entire life ever, apart from that one Was time. Was it from being wrapped? Is yeah. that what yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you guys, if you ever want to attempt, first of all, I have a sort of a mini tutorial uh, on my blog. I saw you have a tutorial on your blog, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of like explains what you need to do and all the tools that I used and everything. But the main number one thing, never start with your chest. Your chest is the last thing you put plaster on so you start from like the bottom up and around the chest and the chest is the very last thing because you're not going to be able to breathe and you're going to faint because your your breathing becomes really shallow and then you just hyperventilate and then boom you kind of like oh, man. yeah it goes black so um definitely Good yeah. to know didn't yeah. realize we needed medical advice to be so but absolutely, here we are <laughs> absolutely so yeah so you know uh, my poor husband he's definitely suffered through so many crazy crazy ideas um so i've i've commandeered our spare bedroom it's a sewing room like there was no no conversation about it. I I change it all the time. I make him take me to Ikea because I don't drive to Ikea to get all the like bits and pieces. I made him, uh, I don't know, like um, he made my, um, my cutting table. Um, nice. Yeah, because uh, he, he doesn't trust me to weld power tools. You would, you know, kind of imagine why. <laughs> you might faint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So he's like, he's so amazing. He's really supportive. And so he's used to my, my crazy, my crazy shenanigans in the name of sewing. Yeah. Here's to our unsung sewing heroes. Oh, the guys so behind the tripods, the guys that are, yeah. The guys that know when to get the hell out of the house because it's safer that way. Absolutely. <laughs> when we start swearing too much. Yeah. I know. Take the children. Go. 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 Yeah, I know. And the thing is, like, that what I like the most is that I sometimes I go like I'm so excited about something, and I go like, "Oh my god, this is like the best bias binding I've ever put in." And he actually, instead of going like, "What is bias binding?" They go like, "Well done, sweetie. I'm so proud of you." Even though he doesn't know, he doesn't know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. He has, he has no idea. <laughs> no, he has no idea. But he's like so supportive just out of principle and I think that's like so amazing that he actually Aww. sits through the whole the whole thing and you know like he never bless him he never complains and just lets me you know get my soul on whenever <laughs> Alex I'm wondering about um what I, I like to ask people about their biggest sewing disaster because that's usually a, a a good story what's the thing that you sewed that was just like really a disaster uh i think that the thing that traumatized me the most uh was the cupcake costume from the sewing bee that was right that makes I, sense. I 
Yeah, and and the the, the dress. So actually. tell us about like what you were attempting on on that on that outfit. So the brief was that you, you're supposed to make a fancy dress outfit with 3D elements. So um, I wanted so effectively it was meant to be a cupcake. So effectively it was like a pleated skirt with two donut rings. Um, sort of around it, like representing the frosting. Um, uh-huh. So it was a, it was meant to be like a red velvet cupcake, which is my favorite cake. Uh, so so yeah, so the and and they had the little dress on the on the little girl, um, but it was. I definitely made things harder for myself because I wanted to sew the rings to the to the dress, um, but the invisible zipper was so difficult to put in with those like big big massive chunks of you know, stuffed with batting and stuff. Um, so I, I could have just, you know, made two rings and just, just put them on top of her, basically. Um, and the, the pleating was quite complicated because the, there was a lot of, um, uh, like, very thick interfacing, uh, very heavy interfacing, so that it kind of keeps its shape, that whole sort of accordion accordion type mm-hmm. pleating. And, and yeah, and basically I just, I just completely, completely ran out, ran out of time. So, um, yeah, I never, ever attempted a making costumes. Like that was like, I'm never going to make fancy dresses ever again. And I, I, I promise. And then you made your sewing, make... your wedding dress, right? Yeah. 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 So, it, <laughs> um, so, you know, in a way the wedding dress was, wasn't, as hard as people, because when I say, oh, I made my wedding dress, everybody goes like, oh, you know, that, that must have been so terrible. And it was stressful, but it wasn't hard. Like, I, right now, I could make it in a day without, without any problems. I think what made it difficult was, A, uh, that it was completely self-drafted. So I had this, um, this, uh, this dress that I found on the internet that I really liked. It was a combination of two dresses. And I couldn't find a pattern that matched exactly what it was. So the drafting part took a really, really long time, especially because the the uh, bodies had cups. And if you know, do you know the Esplanade um, bra from Orange Lingerie? It's like a like a bustier bra. Yeah. And when that came out, it came out like two years later after I made my my wedding. Because when that came out, I actually emailed Norman. I said, "Oh my dear God, why didn't you not do this before? Because it would have been perfect. It would have been just exactly the right thing. But I I kind of had to self draft a bra, which was oh, oh just wow. horrendous." Yeah. You are very brave. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and also the other thing that was challenging because I really wanted a sustainable wedding dress. Um, I bought this old dress of eBay and decided that I'm not going to use any new fabric in it at all in my dress. So I unpicked it and picked this entire dress and um, scavenged effectively all the fabric, the boning, even the hook and the eye, the zipper, um, the interlining, everything. Like there was absolutely nothing new apart from uh, 20 centimeters of interfacing because I had more bo- more um, bones in it than, than the original dress. And then literally absolutely everything was from that dress. And it was cut on the bias. So it was actually quite difficult to work with um, to get the, the pieces that I wanted for my dress. There was a lot of it, so that was helpful, but I had to, you know, like find the grain and cut on the grain. And um, so that took quite a long time to, to figure it out. And the lining um, of the lining of the original dress wasn't stretchy at all. It was quite stiff. So, um, so probably it would have helped if my lining was a bit stretchy because my bodice was super tight. The original dress wasn't, wasn't that tight. So, so there were a lot of like technical difficulties and, you know, even though I adore my dress and it was 
it was amazing for what it was. It was perfect. I mean, we got married on the beach, you know, like a marshmallow dress probably wouldn't really have worked. So it was mm. perfect for what it was. But I look at it and I look at my, I, I, was, I was looking at the wedding pictures the other day and I was thinking like, yeah, that's, you know, it's probably not the best thing I've ever sewn. But I think, again, it's one of those things where like on the day, you know, it was my dress. It was perfect. It was the way I wanted it, even though like it didn't, it didn't probably fit like in the best possible way. And the zipper, like it was a lap zipper and I, you know, it's probably not the best zip I ever put in and stuff, but, you know, I made it. Oh, in- but we're, we're our own worst critics, right? As sewists, yeah. it's all those, those tiny little fitting things that the average person would never notice in a million years, right? But because we're sewists, we kind of, yeah, focus yeah. on that. But, you know, I think it's kind of like, I think it's one of those things where the joy of it, like you shouldn't let perfectionism rob you from the joy of, of making something that's really special and meaningful. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, the fact that it was a sustainable dress was the, or, you know, from my perspective, a sustainable dress, it was the most important thing. And I could live with the fact that I had to work within the confines of the material and the what I choose to do rather than, you know, because if it was brand new fabric, probably I could have, and I had loads of it, I could have done it again, or I could have, you know, like re rearranged things in a, in a way that would, would have worked better or fit it better. But, you know, I, I think what it, for what it was, it was, it was absolutely amazing. So definitely not, not the best thing I've ever sewn, but you know, one of the things that I love the most it's really, really dear to my heart. And I, even though I've never put it on since like after the wedding, I took it off, put it in a case, carried it back to the UK. And I've never, I haven't even looked at it since. Mm. So it's in my wardrobe in a, like in this protection case. And, and I never looked at it, but um, it's, I think it's, it's okay for a wedding dress to be one of those one wear garments. I think yeah. you're, you're, yeah, you don't you're have to good, get your 30, 30 wears out of it. Don't worry. Yeah, Alex. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know, Alex, that's one of the things I really admire about you that, I mean, I noticed this when I was watching you on the Great British Sewing Bee that, that you're really driven and you're not afraid of a challenge at all. So, I mean, it's one thing to take on the challenge of making your own wedding dress, right? I mean, that seems like enough of a challenge, but then you go further and it's like, it's got to be sustainable. I'm going to take one dress and rework the whole thing. I so admire that. And, you know, and, and you made it work. And like you say, it might not have been the most perfect thing, but it was perfect for the occasion. And I just, I really think that's really impressive that the challenges you're willing to take on and, and, you know, um, the challenge of trying the 10 by 10 wardrobe as someone who is right. a, a self-confessed former shopaholic and hoarder. Um, but it, you know, and it all makes so much sense, especially that, um, the idea of the, the parameters that you put on yourself within these challenges actually force you to be more creative, to think outside the box, to, to really kind of push yourself beyond, beyond where you currently are right absolutely and I think you know if there's one thing that I I am trying to sort of convey through my blog um but also you know when I talk to people is that um you know it's really hard to get it's really easy to get despondent and think like oh this is too much or this is too hard but you know, you don't have to do one, you don't have to do everything. Um, you know, there's, there's no such thing as the most sustainable or the most minimal or the most, you know, conscious thing that you can do. There's always trade-offs. Everybody has certain things that are more important to them than other things. And for me, waste is a, is waste is one of my, you know, my, my pet peeves. And in my, in my professional life, I I work in circularity and um, I do a lot of work in recycling and trying to find new ways of, um, of using waste or using waste fabric or using waste materials into new garments. And that's something that's really, really dear to me. So I try, I, I try to focus on that. And waste, 
using waste but also not making waste if that makes sense so you know trying to wear what I have as much as possible but on the other hand you know I might not be always sewing with the most sustainable fabrics you know pleather is a pleather is a good example it's not the most sustainable fabric that I can choose for someone else who's a vegan um, they have different criteria they don't sew with wool or they don't sew with leather and these are the things that are important to them for for other people um, I don't know social things are really important so they try to buy fabrics that they, they know their provenance or they understand where they come from or you know like um, organic fabric or so on that they know they have they have had um, good working conditions and you don't have to do everything and if you make one small change today and then sort of, you know, get used to it and bring it into your sewing and into your like everyday life, um, that's one more thing that you were doing yesterday than you were doing yesterday. And, and you know, I, um, I always say one out of 10 is better than nothing out of 10. So you don't have to be 10 out of 10. You have to be just a step further than you were yesterday or than you were the year before. And making these small changes is actually really empowering because it makes you feel better about yourself and it makes you realize that things are possible. And that's why, um, you know, challenging myself to to try things that are a little bit difficult, even if they're not going to stick, but the fact that I... I tried something, I learned something and I'm, you know, in a way I'm better off than I was before I did this. Like, I don't think I could do a 10, I, I don't think I could do a, you know, 30 items wardrobe forever. It's... Even for me, that seems uh, restrictive. And I can't say like, oh, I'm only going to sew, I don't know, 12 items a year because, you know, maybe I want to sew 13. And, you know, if that's kind of like what your passion leads you and that's something that's really meaningful for you. Um, so, you know, it's not about necessarily, um, putting limitations or putting really high standards and pressures that you can't achieve, but it's about challenging yourself to go that one step further. And, and even if you're not sticking to it, but you've learned something, something from it, I think that's really important. Oh, thanks for that. That's such good advice, especially in these days when we can all feel so overwhelmed with how many, you know, problems there are in the world and and what can we do and how can I make a difference in sustainability if I'm just one person. So that's a really, really great way to think about it. Thank you for that. Call. I'm uh, yeah, I, I, and I, and again, it's kind of like it's sometimes it's really hard not to sound preachy when you talk about sustainability, especially as a sustainability professional. Um, and you know, my husband laughs at me all the time, and he goes like, "You're way too passionate about it, and you're way too militant about it." And and I, I'm trying really, really hard not to sound you know preachy and and telling people off because it can be so. Um, what's the word, uh, depressing, really. And, it, you know, you can feel so, so guilty. Um, but I think there's so much good advice in the sewing community of what we can be do- could be doing. Um, you know, like the Love to Sew podcast, episode on sustainability. Um, Kate, my friend Kate, she writes about sustainability quite a lot. Megan Nielsen had a really good um, series on sustainable sewing. I, f- I found some really great advice on um, how to uh, make toiles without wasting fabric or, you know, just, just uh, around yeah, sustainable sewing. Yeah, that's a big in, deal. Mm-hmm. In Seamwork magazine. So actually, there's quite a lot of good advice. And if you take one one thing out of all of them, I think we're better off. We're so yeah, much better yeah. off. Yeah. Oh, and I should tell you too, um, uh, I just recently made my first zero-waste garment, wow. which was really interesting. So it was uh, by... Uh, what are they called? AVJC Milan, I think is the okay. company. Um, and uh, so basically the zero waste is when the, the entire pattern takes up the, the, the full width of, yeah. the, of the bolt of fabric. 
Um, and it's one of the things I love about the zero waste patterns is that the garment always comes out a little bit weird, yeah. but in a really good way, in yeah. the way that I love. Like I yeah. really like angular seams and sort of asymmetry. And yeah, yeah, so me too. This, um, this, it was like a, a dress, which I intend to use as a beach cover up. Um, and I haven't blogged about it yet, but hopefully maybe I can add some pictures. It's, it's really, yeah. really neat. But yeah, so zero waste patterns are another um, uh, interesting maybe approach. And it was, I mean, it definitely used every square inch of the fabric. There was no scraps left over. It was, it was pretty neat. I'm really excited to see it. Um, I'm really, really curious to see what it looks like. And uh, yeah, but again, this is kind of like, it's the kind of things that may not work for everybody. Like, you know, not everybody's into that. I love those kind of shapes and like really interesting angles and asymmetry. I love it. It's, it's definitely close to my heart, um, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work for everybody. And, and the other thing I would, I also really wanted to highlight is because I have had some experience with this in the past. When you are pushing yourself to be super sustainable, like use scraps or, you know, maybe try a zero waste pattern or try something that you feel like is going to be really sustainable and the garment actually comes out and you don't like it. In mm. the in the grander scheme of things, you know, you really haven't achieved a lot because you've made a one-use garment and and actually that's not the point and that's why I'm thinking like sometimes I'm really stressing myself to use things out of the out of the stash or you know to yeah. try to be really conscious about things and I, I end up making a garment that I don't love and actually that's not that's not the point you know maybe if I bought you know new fabric from somewhere and made something that I really really adored and wore like you know 30 times that's actually in the grander scheme of things, that's probably more important. And I have a couple of gra gra garments that I made from scrap that are really nice, but actually, I just, it just, I don't, just, I just don't like them. And you know, I felt, I felt like I had achieved so much when I used my scraps, but actually, in the grander scheme of things, probably, you know, I was better off just donating them to to someone else or like or recycling them or something like that. So you yeah, know, that's, that's something always the tricky choice, right? The tricky decisions. That's something yeah. to think about as well. Yeah. Well, Alex, I feel like we could talk. I mean, there's so much more I would yeah. love to just chat with you about. We could go on and on. We're already sort of like more than an hour. So we're just going to have to invite you back again some other time to have more chats. But it's been so lovely to talk to you and meet you in person and hear your very wise words. I think you've got a, a lot of really wise things to say about sustainability and sewing. Oh, thank you so much. It was it was really lovely to chat to you. And actually, thank you so much for giving a platform to people who talk about um, sustainability, because I know you invited my friend Kate as well. And, and, and you talked about sustainability and sewing with her. I think it's a really important topic. Um, and I'm I, again, I'm really pleased that it's coming up so much more in the sewing community and uh, and I would really like you know if we met up say in a year I'm really curious how much more the discourse has evolved in the sewing community and what are the kind of things we're talking about and you know how much more people are are picking this uh, this kind of concepts up um, you know sustainable sewing and minimalist and slow sewing as well so um, so mm -hmm. thank you so much for you know for being interested to talk about these things because I think it's a really important topic. Oh, it's our pleasure. And so let's call it a date, December 2019. We'll check back in. And, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Let's get our listeners to, to chime in too, um, because now yeah. we've had two podcasts on this, and I know there was a lot of feedback on Kate's uh, episode. So that would, be, that would be really interesting to see how people are, are feeling because it's, so, it's, a, it's a big deal right now. It's having its moment. Hopefully we can sustain that moment. 
we can sustain the interest in sustainability. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well done, Helena. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so we'll invite people to to call in, to leave a yeah. message, to get in touch with us through comments or email, um, because maybe we could even put a whole podcast together of people's thoughts about, about this whole topic. Oh, that would be great. I think this is one of the things where our communal hive brain um, mm-hmm. can really can really um, help um, you know other people and and I think the perspectives of different people and how they're approaching it is that's I think the most interesting thing because you know as I said Kate loves sustainable sewing I love sustainable sewing yet we we go um, about it in a very very different way so the more people yeah. can contribute the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Alex, for your time. It's been really great to talk to you. I really, really enjoyed it, and uh, and thank you so much for inviting me again. I, I really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. For more information and more episodes, visit clothesmakingmavens.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll find options for sending us an email, leaving a comment, or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com. Hope to hear from you soon, and thanks for listening. Mm